Hey there, folks. Just wanted to chime in before we start the show proper and give a shout out to our friends over at the Criterion Collection, who are again sponsoring this episode of Adjust Your Tracking. So we just want to thank them for being awesome, for putting out really great uh, restored Blu-rays of uh, you know modern and classic old films. Uh, There's such an eclectic mix there. Any movie nerd knows the Criterion Collection and loves them most likely, uh, as do we here at Adjust Your Tracking. So uh, this month of February, real quick, is just worth citing some of the awesome titles that they are putting out on Blu-ray this this month uh, at Criterion. So there's a new Satchajit Ray movie called The Hero, or it's not new, but it's a new release for Criterion. Uh, this is one of his 19, this is a 1966 film from Ray, director of the Apu trilogy, uh, the Music Room, the Big City. Just a fantastic filmmaker. Can't wait to catch up with this one. Also on Blu-ray, and it'll be one that I haven't seen myself, but will be loving catching up, no doubt, is called An Actor's Revenge. Uh, the cover art looks really great. And then a couple, uh, I guess, genre movies that they have given really beautiful Blu-ray editions to um, that I cannot wait to watch and see how good they look. Uh, but it is the... Uh, uh, the classic Night of the Living Dead has gotten the Criterion Blu-ray, George Romero's classic uh, zombie film. And then, come on, of course, 1991's Best Picture winning The Silence of the Lambs. I cannot, cannot wait to watch this one again uh, in this gorgeous uh, Blu-ray edition from, from Criterion. I guess appropriate side note that it's coming out this month um, in a weird way because Get Out, the Jordan Peele horror movie, also... Uh, was nominated for a bunch of Oscar awards, and um, we don't know yet if it's going to win any, like Silence of the Lambs, but hey, you know, horror movies do not get that much love, typically, from the Academy, so uh, good timing, I guess, for them to put out this this new Blu-ray edition of Silence of the Lambs. So I'm going to stop babbling. Let's get you into the show proper, um, but once again, thanks again for Criterion uh, Collection for for sponsoring this show and taking care of us over here at Adjust Your Tracking. Now on to the show. Black Panther defied the power, fought the violence with non-violence. Good is just as if the scales are bent by criminal government. Think of the dead in Vietnam. Think of the dead in Birmingham. Think of the freedom we don't understand. A sleeping bed in a stolen night. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. Joe, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing all right. How are you, Eric? You, feel you know, good? I feel good. I'm looking out my window as we record this right now and snow. It's all I see, Joe. Snow in Portland right now. Fuck. Um, snowy well, it is 59 degrees in Los Angeles, so I get where you're coming from. You motherfucker. <laughs> All right, enough weather talk. What are we up to today, man? Well, we're talking about um, what everybody seems to be talking about, the, um, the, the gigantic blockbuster new Marvel film, uh, Black Panther, which um, it is now we're recording this um, after the opening weekend. So we're super late to the party. Um, <laughs> everybody's going to be tired of the think pieces, the thought pieces, the, you know, all the pieces sweep up after the party. And, uh, and um, at, after that, we have a new installment of hold up. And these two movies um, you came up with this, cause this is your hold up segment, but it's um, 
uh, Black Panther directed by Ryan Coogler. Um, he he was a he made a splash on the scene um, with Fruitvale Station, like one of his like festival favorite movies. Um, who's now gone on to you know obviously get plugged into a franchise and be part of the studio system. And your hold up is Ryan Johnson's Brick, his feature film debut, which now he's gone on to direct a Star Wars movie and is you know potentially a, a candidate for all types of. Um, you know, franchise movies and whatnot. And I don't mean to sound winded or, you know, <laughs> fired or sad because of that, but um, that's just my natural kind of like accent. But um, yeah, that's how these two films are tethered together. But, you know, without further ado, let's, uh, let's dig into Black Panther. Yeah, we should, right? I mean, even if we are five days into its release late to the party, which yeah. is, is so true, right? But yeah. um, and I guess to highlight that I was reading an article on the playlist just before we went on Mike and it was our awards campaign writer, Gregory Elwood. Mm-hmm. What do you think he was talking about? The fucking chances for this movie's best picture, you know, like nomination at the end of the year or whatever. Oh, geez. We're, that's where we're at already, Joe. Like four or five days into this movie's release, we're talking about a year from now when it will be nominated or whether it will be nominated for a best picture. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, so our, um, our experience, the two of us is, um, we typically like, we have enjoyed Marvel movies. We've enjoyed comic book adaptations, superhero movies have enjoyed. It's possible but I've never, I've never loved one. Like, you know, you've definitely loved um, Christopher Nolan's, you know, Dark Knight films. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but beyond that, I think that Marvel movies, especially, which this is one of, uh, I think like at their best, eh, I don't really care that much. Um, and so having a filmmaker that you and I also both um, enjoy, you know, immensely like i was devastated by his feature film debut fruitvale station and i was like you know pretty blown away by what he was able to do with another franchise you know the the rocky franchise by transitioning into creed you know and making and just like pumping it full of like just new blood and energy and vitality and um his constant work with Michael B. Jordan is, you know, shows demonstrates his like prowess as being an actor's director. Cause they have such a like incredible uh, chemistry between the two of them, like as filmmaker and actor. And he's able to get these like Michael B. Jordan's already an outstanding actor, but he's able to get these like incredible performances out of him. Mm-hmm. So he's a director um, I love and he takes over and, and I, can't remember when you broke this to me that he was directing a Marvel movie. It was either like when we initially reviewed Creed or when it was on my like top 10 for the year, but you're like, you know what he's doing next? And like, I was like, what black Panther? I was like, Oh, well, I guess if anybody. And so like, that's like, that's I think where we're at pop culturally is that like these, these filmmakers who demonstrate their like, their ability, their incredible ability to tell stories, to just like, you know, just make these incredibly kinetic works of art. They get, then get the potential to make a tentpole movie, which like, great, good for them. Except that I've never felt like one of these movies is great. And I'm struggling to find that any of them are any good anymore. 
just because of like the nature of how they get made is just sort of so limiting and so just limited that I'm just like, I don't like, I don't care about these movies anymore. So who I think is a great filmmaker is now at the helm of one of the films out of a series of films that I think have never been great. Mm -hmm. And I think that when they're good, people are like, it's good. It's good for a Marvel movie. And in fact, um, one of our, you know, friends of, you know, the show, uh, I saw his review, Ryan, Ryan Oliver. Yeah. Um, he was like, he, it was four and a half stars for this film. And it was like, out of the Marvel universe, this gets four and a half stars. And I was like, oh, so we're like grading on a curve now? Like, that, mm-hmm. I mean, did anyone say like, Secret of the Ooze is a five star movie out of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle <laughs> franchise? Like, no, it's not a five star movie. It's like, so, so here we are. Mm-hmm. And like, you and I off mic have discussed what we felt about <laughs> Black Panther. So I'm excited to see a filmmaker I, you know, love get to do something big and bold and like on a giant stage. This is a big budgeted movie. This is, you know, also a movie that cannot be separated from the conversation of representation because it is like almost entirely an all black cast, which is beautiful and a crucial like move forward for us like as sad as it is that we are still here we are like in a country that is horrifically regressing you know i feel at times with like who is in power and who is like transparently racist so it's just like this is like in terms of like big entertainment like this is a necessary urgent crucial step forward for us does that mean it's a good movie Mm. Not necessarily. <laughs> and I think as I, as I watched it, I, I was just like, the cast is great. Like everybody's solid in it. Um, like the, the landscape, the world building it does, like it's an interesting setup concept. Like, do I feel fundamentally that these movies are ever dramatically convincing or involving to me personally as a viewer? No. So um, we can dig into why that is and why I'm just sad. There are not movies for adults anymore. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. the cultural conversation is dominated by what is essentially for children. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, I've, I've talked quite a bit. Eric, Eric, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm glad you did, Joe, because I think you... I think you- feel stronger about Black Panther than I did, even though I liked the movie more than you, you know, like you knew that already. I I said, I enjoyed it. Um, I think I gave it four stars on letterboxd. Um, I will say this. I I can't speak for Ryan Oliver, but I think I know where he's coming from. And I actually, in a way agree with him. So yeah, yeah, of course. Ryan, Ryan knows how to talk. Um, please let us know buddy. But, uh, I will say that, um, each movie has to be, you, you call it grading on a curve. I would just say reviewing in context. Every, sure. every movie that comes out, if it's a Marvel movie, I have to first off, in my opinion, as a critic, I'm grading it compared to all the other Marvel movies in that universe that it's a mm-hmm. part of, and then other comic book movies. And then from there, I guess other action movies that it might 
feel like or homage. So Black Panther has like sort of globetrotting James Bond like aspects to it. So Mm. if I think of it in terms of that, I liked Black Panther a lot more than even some of the good Bond movies. But more context, I'm not a huge Bond guy, so I don't really care. Yeah. So there's that. Um, as a, so having said all that, I just think it's, it's reviewing in context. So mm-hmm. I give black Panther four stars out of five, but would I, will it end up even in my infamous top 30 at the end of the year? I mean, I doubt it because mm-hmm. I really liked Thor Ragnarok last year, but it didn't even come close to being in my top 30 because it just, it's fun. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to bat for that movie. I'm not going to defend it as this amazing piece of cinema, but yeah. I will say Black Panther is, in my opinion, the best of the Marvel movies that I've seen of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh-huh. But to add a little bit more context, is it as good as The Dark Knight? Or even seriously, I'm, I'm I guess I'm sorry because this might piss people off, but I don't even think it's as good as The Dark Knight Rises or Batman Begins. Um, I but I'm I love Christopher Nolan. I, I guess I'll say this: it's a it's kind of similar to Batman Begins in a lot of ways. And in yeah. some ways, actually, I will say this. It has a much better villain than Batman Begins did. Um, it doesn't have a Joker-level villain, but nobody will ever achieve the heights of what Heath Ledger did, I think, again. Right. But that's okay. So, having said all that, I think this is a, a pretty damn good comic book movie that is still full, rife, rife with many of the issues that exist in all the Marvel movies. So let's, yeah. let's get into it, man. I, I think okay. I'm, I love hearing what you have to say. I liked it more than you, but let's, let's take this movie down a peg a little bit just to like quell the hyperbole that's going on. So I think fundamentally um, there's like, there's a hurried nature about these movies because they're all for the most part over two hours, Marvel movies and so there's there's a need to get to like you know cut to the chase get to there's like a lot of world building a lot of story because there's so many like subplots and stories and like in the expanded universe they have to keep those doors open which is this movie actually does a good job at minimizing like mm-hmm. it doesn't play into any of the avengers you know mythology until like the post credit sequence and like but at the same time, it still is like has a lot of plot to get through and it feels like it's hurrying through it and therefore never building any genuine tension as it gets to like the action sections and sequences, which like in any Marvel movie, I think are really haphazardly done. Mm. They're boring. Like it gets to the action sec- sections and set pieces and they're just dull because they're like hyperkinetic, crowded, and just like are tensionless essentially. And I don't like I've never heard anyone say like, "Oh, you remember that like the rhinoceros battle?" Like no one like they're just like, "Yeah, it's got a lot of action generically," and it's like that's it. And there's there's never like a mention of a particular set piece and why that was like exciting. And so like there's this hurried sort of like like there's a sense of momentum to get to like the payoff, but the payoff is boring. So then it's just like you forsake all of the character development and sort of like charm and nuance that like you and I often complain about getting squeezed out of modern movies to get to a payoff that doesn't even feel good. And I think in this movie, it looks bad. Like a lot of the action just straight up doesn't look good. It's Mm -hmm. like, 
And I think the most successful action sequences in this movie are the most simple. Yeah. You know, there's a, the black Panther character. uh, He, he is anointed King like at the, you know, early on in the movie and you can challenge the King in the, the, you know, fictional country of Wakanda uh, where, you know, anyone can step up and be like, I challenge. And then they engage in one-on-one combat. And so it's just like, that's, you know, pretty simple and it's like two bodies in space. And so it's like, there's a, there's a sense of like coherence to the action. And I think that um, the, the villain character that you mentioned, Michael B. Jordan's character, AKA Killmonger, great name. Um, (laughs) He eventually challenges the, the character of Black Panther in a, in a waterfall battle. And it's just like, to me, that's like that's the climax of the movie because mm-hmm. then everything after that sort of subscribes to the normal, like Marvel tendency of just like overcrowded action where it's like v- very little coherence and it's busy and it just doesn't look good, mm-hmm. and it's just like it's irritating and grating and eventually just like it exhausts you before it it involves you and excites you. Um, I'm saying you personally, Eric, not just <laughs> me or one. Me. <laughs> yeah, um, please. Um, so yeah, like, what, what are your thoughts about any of that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's some it. <sighs> as much as things change, they stay the same for us. Yeah, like like effects have effects been a problem for these Marvel movies since the beginning. Like, yeah. the action is. Uh, worsened and made less memorable because they, I think it's the dependency on computer graphics, right? Computer, computer generated imagery. And um, I remember seeing the second Avengers movie, which I thought was actually borderline terrible when I saw it. Mm -hmm. It was, it was so forgettable. And I kind of liked the first Avengers movie, which I think we fought about on the podcast at one point. Um, Not fought, but we, we differed on it. But uh, the second one opens with this, instantly forgettable and it should be incredible but it's all it's an animated movie it's like a pixar movie for the first 10 minutes where the camera is doing all this one take magic stuff that cameras can't do and it's Mm -hmm. like there's the hulk and there's thor doing some bullshit it's like overload it's everything you're talking about and i instantly am like this is so dull and you you described it perfectly tensionless there is no tension in these marvel movies and even in a, the best one, in my opinion, the Black Panther movie, there's just very little tension. And that that is always going to be a huge hurdle to overcome for these movies. I think what bothers you and me the most is that the audience just doesn't seem to care. Yeah. And when did that happen? When did we start watching action? And it doesn't matter if there's no stakes. It doesn't matter if nobody dies. It's not that we're complaining that nobody dies in this movie because... In, one, in some way, Black Panther's the bloodiest Marvel movie I've seen, which is not saying much, but there's actual... Well, someone gets their throat slit with zero blood in it. Yeah, like, that's, that's pretty true. confusing. That was... And, yeah. <laughs> that's granted, you're in, a, you're in a fictional location, but it's still the people should bleed, I would imagine. Maybe... What's the element that they have? Zibr- vibranium. Vibra- maybe vibranium prevents blood spray, Joe. <laughs> it it's could, true. It, it clots can do- very quickly. <laughs> 
that here's a knock I'll give to the Black Panther. That fucking metal can do anything. It literally can do anything. And it's it is a uh talk about adding no tension to the movie, right? Or draining yeah. the tension. It's um you know what I thought of a lot with Black Panther is the movie Elysium too. Mm-hmm. Where if you have this technology that can literally reconfigure someone's head that just got blown up (laughs) and bring them back to life as what happens in Elysium. Like that kind of shit happens every 10 minutes in black Panther and Elysium wasn't a perfect movie, but at least it saved that one ridiculous card for the one moment it used it. But black Panther sort of does that over and over again and just adds to the tensionless environment of the movie for sure. Yeah. And like, you know, similar to James Bond, being able to like elude and evade any consequence at any given time. Like there's their um, black Panther's uh, sister character who is in the concluding episode of uh, black mirror she's this last great, season. Man. Uh, she is great. Yeah. She's a lot of fun in this movie and she's given like this sort of cue role from James Bond of, you know, yeah. Equipping black Panther with like all of his gadgets and whatnot. But she's also tasked with like explaining away all reality defying principles of the technology. And she's like, Oh, all you got to do is, and you're just like, wait, what, what? And like, and you're explaining the action as it's happening, which then becomes tensionless because Mm -hmm. it's like, you have to give the audience the, the rules like ahead of time. So you can watch it play out and for the drama to actually establish itself. You know, and it's just like in action sequences where like she's driving a remote control car in virtual reality, it's just like, I guess that's a cool idea, but it's just like, it just becomes too like hectic and confused in its own principles. And like, I just like what, what it seems to, what these things should be the center, like these should be the centerpieces of the film, like the action sections. Mm-hmm. And instead, like my takeaway is that, and like I'm maybe coming across as like too harsh about this movie because there was plenty of it that I did enjoy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Michael B. Jordan, like you know, first and foremost, because he's given the most amount of character establishment, right? And he at least has scenes that take place outside of the green screen. Like <laughs> I remember, like the very one of the very first scenes in the film, uh is in an actual location. It like in flashes Oakland. the title card, mm-hmm. Oakland, 1992. Mm-hmm. And the sound cue for two shorts in the trunk comes on. Yeah. And I was like, I threw my hands up and I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> this is actually accurate. This song would have been playing in Oakland in 1992. This is not fake news. <laughs> no, I know this because I was in an adjacent suburb and <laughs> I was listening to it anyway. So I wish I was there with you. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Like I do that sometimes where I'm like, I'm literally with no one, but like the rest of the crowd who are strangers to me. And I'm like, Oh my, can you, uh, <laughs> too short? so anyway, so this, that's taking place on an actual set, you know, on a playground that then like goes into an apartment in Oakland. And then later on we have Michael B. Jordan in a museum and like, I think just one of like the most compelling scenes in the film where you find out that he is one of like the villain characters. And then you find out more about his history later and his, his anger is the most kind of like, uh, understandable. And, uh, like I just, you can identify with it more. Yeah. And I don't know, like there was just something about like, 
because it's like it the actual character setup and everything plays into the actual Black Panther Party, who are you know the political figures from like the 1960s and 70s, and like playing the two off of each other, Black Panther and then Killmonger. Killmonger is you know the militarized, basically. He's Malcolm X. He, he huh? I'm sorry. Go. What on. did you say? Sorry. I said he's Malcolm X, right? Killmonger in a way like he well yeah exactly he's like he's essentially the public perception that was weaponized against um the Black Panthers perpetuated by the media like showing them as a threat oh okay when really the the intention of the Black Panthers was to protect the community to protect like to be armed escorts for citizens like to protect them from the police who were brutalizing them and you know, tragically continue to do so to this day. But because the public perception of them was weaponized against them, they, the public, you know, essentially could do nothing while they were murdered and dismantled and incarcerated. So it's just like, so you're playing with like the mythology of this actual like political group and he's and Killmonger played by Michael B. Jordan played with, with just, just so much fucking charisma. You know what I mean? Like, He's so magnetic to watch in this movie. And like he like, and in that sense, I think it's just like his plight, his intention is more identifiable and more, I I don't know. Like I was just like, well, yeah, why wouldn't he want to take the throne and therefore be the heir to all of this technology that could help like undo, you know, the, the ills of racism and the systematic racism systemic, sorry. Um, And like the, (laughs) institutionalized racism. I was just like, yeah, let, just let him go. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but then like, but he, he then becomes like a sort of, uh, the, he's calcified as this vendetta bent, you know, kind of like homicidal character. So it's just like, he has to be neutralized essentially. Right. And if the movie took time to actually live in the, the difficulty of the duality of those two characters, which they just don't have time to do because right. they're, they're busy right. trying to get through everything. And what they're trying to get through to get to is ultimately not that interesting. And so like you have these things that can be played with that are just introduced as ideas and then nothing happens with them. You know, people have been talking about how Wakanda, you know, this fictional part of Africa is like imbued with these like supernatural qualities because they have technology that no one knows about. Right. And so they build a wall around themselves so nobody can get to um, their, their just advancements. Nobody can jeopardize it. And so it's just like, as much as that's like Elysium, people think of that as like America, you know? And like that's introduced as an idea and nothing really happens with it. And that's the so biggest like, failure of the movie, I feel like. Like Rod- yeah. Rodrigo Perez on the playlist in his review, he, he talked about the missed potential of... The if you think about it, what you're talking about is really, I think, the most interesting thing about the movie where Wakanda, let's look at it as though it's America. Okay, they are Mm -hmm. completely isolationist. They don't want to share what they have with the world. Now, that's an interesting 
messy paradigm to create this world on, right? To yeah. to build this new uh, this new world in the Marvel universe on. Very messy, very complicated. They're supposed to be good, but they could be helping the world, and they choose not to. So it's it's murky morally, right? And then you bring in Killmonger, the Michael B. Jordan character. He, in a weird subversive trick, I think. I want to know what you think about this. He's sort of a Trump character, but not in not literally, not an analog, not a one to one. No, no, yeah. But he's he has. Let's just let's sort of put the basic facts down. He has a legitimate claim to the throne. He actually has the right. He, he to won. Challenge. And like in in a in a sense, he won what was like to be decided, like the election. He won. He won. It. He won. They they even say in the movie that we don't want him to have the throne, but he won it fair and square, right? And yeah. unfortunately, yeah, exactly. as many bad, messy things that we're learning even more happened during the election. Like Trump won by the rules of the game. Okay, so right. we've had to accept that, isn't it? It is so interesting that for two thirds of this movie, maybe even a little bit more than that, it's all about that where this guy takes over, but instead he's going to break the isolationist. Like he's the Trump character that comes into Wakanda and wants to bring, he wants to tear the walls down, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. And they do absolutely nothing with it in the final third. And instead do they do they're like, well, it's a Marvel movie, Ryan Coogler. You gotta serve the yeah. you gotta serve your 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 the the audience what they expect. And it's like, why didn't they just have like it I can think of almost off the top of my head, I think you and I could riff at least a half dozen potential endings that would have been less action driven, maybe more visually satisfying for you and I. Yeah. And also would have done something with all that material and maybe they'll deal with it later because things happen after the battle at the end that open up Wakanda in a way and mm -hmm. and sort of find hope in it. But I think they should have went the empire strikes back ending to start the black Panther. Not if they do it in part two or three fine, but this was the opportunity to do it. And you know, the movie works for what it needs to do. And clearly the box office is showing that. And it's also positive. I liked this movie, but my God, there's so much missing potential in what we're talking about right there, I think. Yeah. And I think that, um, yeah, because it's like, because it has to get to a sort of conventional Marvel movie climax where, you know, like the people that are involved in this grand battle sequence, Attack of the Clone style, is yeah. just like none of them seem genuinely motivated by anything. You don't know why they're fighting. Like it's just like, sure, he won, you know, he won the throne fair and square by the rules established in Wakanda, but it's just like shouldn't people be kind of like conflicted about it, but they're, they're just like, they're not given any sort of identity. They're just bodies yeah. put into a battle for the sense of scale. And I think that scale is ultimately not necessary when the tension lies in the intimacy between the two actual, like combating forces, which are Killmonger and black Panther. Yeah. Like, all they needed to do was restage their initial conflict. That's it. Like you don't need to have Martin Freeman fucking flying around in a remote control, <laughs> like X wing. Yeah. And you don't need rhinoceroses and you don't need a bunch of people. And like the granted, there's like a lot of great performers who then had something to do in the battle, but it was just like, if the actual tension is between just two bodies, then it's just like, then do that restage that fight again after the sort of like, 
long dark night of the soul, whatever that moment is where we think that the black Panther's dead and he rises to the occasion again. It was just like, I think that like, because there is like a sort of the tension and the intimacy and the grit of a, like a potential tragedy between their conflict. It was just like, just show them just like, let's just have it be the two of them. And that it was like, awesome. Clearly, <laughs> clearly Ryan Coogler knows like because of what he did with Creed, because he did something visually interesting in Creed with like the fights in it. Like he, yeah. he, there was flair to them and there was like, there was an ingenuity to how he staged them, like seemingly in one take oftentimes. <clears throat> but it was just like, it seemed like because what we're used to with Marvel movies is so specific. Like he eventually has to lean on other people's language being software to, in order to be like, well, I got to make it look, you know, hyper compressed and just larger than life. And it's just like, not if it just, I just don't like think that's interesting anymore. I think like fundamentally it's too busy, too hectic and just like too tensionless to even be regarded as like good, you know? And it was just like, it's just what we're used to. And because it's better than what we're used to, you know, like I still just think it's like unsatisfying. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, and and again, I love that you're bringing up Creed as well, because Creed does all these long take sort of fluid fight scenes, like did them for real. Like there is no green screen. There's an actual location. And Black Panther does fall into that Marvel trap where he is using CG camera moves to make it look like one long take. And that can be done well. That can be awesome. That can be thrilling. Um, But I got to say, it's amazing. Um what David Fincher has brought on the world (laughs) in terms of cinema, because I'm not blaming David Fincher because dude has always done innovative stuff with camera and especially CG effects. And look, let's look back to fight club. I mean, fight club began this shit where the camera could do anything and he pushed it even further and more extreme in panic room. But that's so it's, it's an example of what we've talked about where it's quaint in those movies. I mean, him having a camera go through the floorboards in the house in panic room and then through like a keyhole is like over the top at the time. Now I'm just like, that's kind of cute and quaint compared to what they do now. And it's, it's interesting. These innovations that happen and then um, massive, corporatized filmmaking behemoths like Disney hire people that want to play with those toys that see Fincher's moves and want to play with them themselves and experiment. And I get that, right? I mean, that would be exciting as a filmmaker Mm -hmm. to have these resources that Disney can give you, but I don't know, man, like it's rarely done. It's just not as exciting anymore. Once you know where it comes from and we're just so it, everybody's used to it now. And you kind of said it just because something's better than what we expect or what we're used to doesn't mean that there aren't problems in it. And it's, it's very interesting. The audience has different, a, a big chunk of the audience, especially the ones that are flocking to these movies just see things differently than us. And that is totally okay. And we're so happy that this movie is a big deal for many Mm -hmm. obvious reasons that we've already pointed out. But um, I I think what you and I are just arguing for is like, let's question things a little more. Like, do we all just have to start saying that this is a best picture nomination five days after it's been out? Like, let's chill the fuck out. Let's get done with this year's Oscar season and enjoy movies for God, for Christ's sakes. You know what I mean? Like I just, It's weird. Yeah. And um, 
there, I think the question of like its importance in terms of it being kind of like groundbreaking is like, it's, you know, it's undeniable, you know, it's inarguable because it's just like, this is, this is a, this is a monumental, like how well the movie's doing is like a big deal. It is. And like, you know, in terms of representation, like with Wonder Woman last year, directed by Patty Jenkins, um, you know, we, you had like a, a story of like empowerment and it was just like, they're often tagged to that is like the statement that this is the superhero movie we need right now. <laughs> and like you roll your eyes real quick. <laughs> ultimately it's just like, sure. And maybe we need more than superhero movies. Yes. Like, and so can you fault the movie for like, what is ultimately not also represented in pop culture? No, you have to do what you and Ryan did and hold it sort of up to the standard of what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's trying to be a superhero movie and it's good at what it does. Um, I think that there's a ceiling for my appreciation for what superhero movies do. And I'm really sad that there aren't adult movies for adults to discuss as much. Like um, I walked into a bookstore this last weekend and um, bookstore, not a comic book store bookstore (laughs) and like three grown men in their thirties we're just like, yeah, well, I mean, it's like it's so colorful and it's just like it's got a lot of action. Like, I wish there was more action. And I was like, I, I know what they're talking about. And like, then they said Black Panther. And I was like, OK, great. And then like someone walked in the in the door unrelated as a man. Late 30s, early 40s. Cap- what the fuck is going on that like grownups are just talking about kids movies and my, like my friend um, last weekend was talking about how reading and this is me quoting someone who's quoting a New York times article. Um, but he had mentioned how in the New York times they were talking about how much of a big deal this movie is and how it's like, you know, akin to the 1992 release of Malcolm X. And it was just like, well, yes and no. Like it's one because like there were adult movies people were still going to and arguably Malcolm X is an adult movie. And it's just like, I just want, I want this to mean that there will be a variety of like films and like get out prove that, you know, in terms of like you, you have a, a horror movie born out of like, uh, you kind of uniquely black anxiety mm-hmm. and like most of the country was talking about it and most of the country went to go see it. And it was just like, that was beautiful. And that was a movie of like, it was made for, it wasn't that expensive and it made gigantic amounts of money. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, I would like there to be like plenty of like just tons of that, of variety of representation in all different walks of life. So I can't fault black Panther for there not being a variety of other types of movies. I fault culture and people and the audience, like what you're saying about the audience is just being like, eh, it's, it's a Marvel movie. So the action doesn't have to make sense or have any tension to it. Like support all types of movies support, like Fruitvale station, like was critically lauded. Mm. I think it should have had like, tons more people go to see it agreed 
So like, I just want there to be a support system for a variety of types of movies. So like what I think is ultimately not that great of an art form isn't seen as the pinnacle anymore. Here, here, man. I mean, to close, I think let's just leave it with those previous movies from Ryan Coogler and, and just reiterate I think we've bitched a lot about this movie in the last 40 minutes, but Ryan Coogler is the shit. He is legit. The dude has yes. delivered and exceeded expectations every movie. And yes. there's an odd side note to put out there of he is one of these filmmakers that has launched very quickly into the mega movie mold. Like he's one of these successful versions like our hold up director will be as well. But there are plenty of other ones that failed miserably. Josh Trank, mm-hmm. the guy that made the last Fantastic Four movie, just if you don't remember, look up what happened on that movie. It was a nightmare. Uh, the directors of the Han Solo movie that got fired, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Yeah. Um, Disney is notorious for the shit. Edgar Wright didn't get fired, but left Ant-Man because they wouldn't vibe with his style. I would have loved to have seen an Edgar Wright Ant-Man movie, but I also am glad he didn't bother with it. And instead we got Baby Driver, which is comes from Edgar Wright. Can we get mm-hmm. more? I didn't love Baby Driver, but can we get more Baby Drivers? Like, can Ryan Coogler give us his... I guess all I'm hoping for is hopefully Coogler at this point has got enough cachet to do a couple for him. Because yeah. I could see him being another Christopher Nolan type filmmaker that will be able to meld big movies, adult movies, like what you want. Cause mm-hmm. say what you will about Christopher Nolan, but dude makes adult movies, even True. if he makes comic book movies. And I see Ryan Coogler becoming that level of auteur, like legitimate, great filmmaker. Cause he kind of already is. Yeah. And just let's bring it back. Watch Fruitvale station because that movie should have gotten the Sundance best picture love that stuff like <clears throat> beast of the Southern wild got, that uh, there was another one the year after Fruitvale Station that got a lot of love um, where the director was nominated too. And I can't think of it right now, but Fruitvale Station didn't. And it was a sort of a part of this uh, Oscar so white thing from a couple years ago where it's like, why did these great movies that seem tailor-made for Oscars not get not get recognized like yeah. Fruitvale Station when it seems to be. And anyway, this is, this is probably a conversation for another time, but point being Fruitvale Station is fantastic. I can't remember Joe crying as much as I did, as hard as I did in a good way from watching Fruitvale Station. Like, I think I remembered texting you after I saw it at the Hollywood theater after you had already seen it, but I was a mess after that movie. And we know how the story ends that is great filmmaking. That it shows is- you how it ends in the beginning of the movie. Exactly, and, uh, right? And you get there and you're still destroyed. You still can't believe that it happened that yeah. way by the end. And I'm going to also say Creed is a better movie than Black Panther. Creed, in my memory, was fantastic. And I would love to see him get to do... Now, let's see what Ryan Coogler gets to or wants to do next. I just want him to get to... He's going to have carte blanche. Dude's going to be able to do whatever he wants to do. And I'm excited for that future because of Black Panther. But um, hopefully he doesn't end up making his own new Star Wars trilogy. But maybe that's what he wants to do. And let's see Let's see what he chooses to do. But um, we'll be watching, man, because this director is the shit. I mean, he's yeah. it's, it's just a no-brainer, you know? Yeah, he clearly like he loves the art form and like he's like he's just like he's incredible to watch grow. And like there's no reason Creed like 
should have been as good as it was. Because I, I think it's arguably one of the best in that sort of world now. And I think there was low stakes going in, mm-hmm. you know, because like Rocky has had kind of like a, its legacy has been kind of spotty. It's got like some great movies and it also has some like sort of less than great sort of uh, yeah. just, you know, just filler basically. <laughs> and like, so the the bar wasn't super high and he delivered a great movie on par with the original Rocky. And um I would say better than the first Rocky, seriously. So, like, he he just did something incredible with it. He did something gritty and, like, and heartfelt. And, like, this is what he's good at. And I think that the best parts of Black Panther still deliver that. And if we've been hard on it, it's more just the sort of legacy of the Marvel movies and what we think is ultimately a sort of, like, doling effect that they have. And so what he delivers to it is crucial. And I hope that he's just given the levity to do even more, you know, with a variety of different types of movies. I hope so, man. I hope so. We should say um, Fruitvale Station is streamable on Netflix. Creed streamable on Amazon Prime and potentially Hulu, I think. Nice. Watch them. They're so great. (laughs) Yes. So great. All right. Um, also, last thing. Can we say enough how awesome Michael B. Jordan is, too? I mean, we have. But these guys are going to do, like, Scorsese, De Niro-type stuff, I think. Yeah. I, I, I really, think they, they've yeah. already started that kind of, like, that legacy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Fruitvale Station is their mean streets. They're just getting started. They're just getting started. And I, what I, I guess what I'm pleading for, and I think you agree is like, can't wait for their fucking taxi driver. I can't wait for their raging bull. I can't wait for what's going to come, you know? And it, it doesn't have to literally be a Scorsese type thing. I'm just, I'm excited for the future. Um, yeah. So yeah. So, um, yeah, we're, we're not all grumpy here on the black no, Panther. I am, but that's okay. <laughs> it is okay. All right. Well, what do you say? Should we pivot? Yeah, let's pivot. Meeny, 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 meeny. Meeny, 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 meeny. Meeny, 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 meeny. Hold up. Wait a minute. Now just wait. The sun whose rays are all ablaze with ever living glory does not deny his majesty. He scorns to tell a story. He don't exclaim, I blush for shame. So kindly be indulgent. But fierce and bold, in fiery gold, his glory's all effulgent. I mean to rule the earth, as he the sky. We really know our worth, the sun and I. Here we are, we're back with Hold Up, second episode in a row that we're, uh, that we're doing that, and probably going to keep it going for the foreseeable future right now, in, the, in these down times at the, at the cinema. So, um... This is my choice uh, that I th- I'm not sure. I actually don't think we announced it on the last episode. No. Um, thank you. We did not. Okay. So, but this is, um, as we talked about, Ryan Johnson, uh, director of Star Wars, The Last Jedi. This is his first movie, Brick. Um, an interesting holdup pick for me, I guess, in the sense that it's, I guess it's sort of typical for me where I'm sort of breaking your original conceit of this segment but it has evolved and i'm just generally looking at brick as um i wanted to revisit it because i've been wanting to see it since seeing the last jedi i've only watched it the once since it came out on dvd mm-hmm. and i really loved it at that time i mean it had a lot of cinephile indie movie hype at the time mm-hmm. 
And that's what I wanted to revisit and just see generally in a very basic level. Does this movie hold up? Is it good in 2018 to my eyes the same way it was in 2006? And um, I guess just to start, um, and then I want to see what you think, Joe, because it's an interesting one. I still very much liked this movie upon revisiting it, mm-hmm. but I think I liked it for different reasons than I did at the time. And things I either didn't bother me or I generally liked when I first saw it, I some of it I found a little bit annoying and sort of cutesy annoying, like... Um, in a way that I think is fair to bring up in the context of a discussion about Ryan Johnson and where he's at in his career and the sort of launch pad he went on to become like a Disney star Wars filmmaker for the next 10 plus years. Uh, so um, yeah, uh, I-, I liked this movie re- revisiting it sort of in broad terms, but how about you, Joe? Like what's your story with it? When did you see it and how did you feel about it now? I remember seeing it um, at a, an advanced screening um, before I was any on anybody's lists. It was just where you get like one of the passes from like a place, like a store. It's you plus one and you go to it and it's with a lot of bargain happy people who get to see a movie for free. And so it was like I, I went to one of those screenings and the person who I went with fucking hated the movie they're just like oh it's just like film school assholes like that she just got that sense that it was like had that level of pretension and it was as insufferable as the people that she felt had just like film school stink vapors coming off them at all times (laughs) maybe because she hated it like i felt like i needed to swing in the other direction but i genuinely felt like i liked it yeah and that there was a, there was something unique to it. There was a clip to it. There was like a style to it. And once you um, once you suggested it as a hold up potential candidate off mic, I started thinking about just Ryan Johnson as a whole. And like there are a lot of filmmakers who you know since him have had like a similar trajectory where they have like a strong couple of movies, if not one movie, and now they're getting plugged into giant franchise movies. Um, you know, like the Colin Trevorrows who did, uh, what, what the fuck was that movie called? Uh, safety, not guaranteed, which is terrible. <laughs> safety of objects. <laughs> safety, not guaranteed. And then, you know, get, transitions into the Jurassic park franchise and, you know, uh, Jordan vote Roberts who made Kings of summer, then got to make a King Kong movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, Gareth look, Edwards who did, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, lots of white men, lots of straight white men. <laughs> yep. That's okay. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so like I started thinking about him, uh, Ryan Johnson and how he, he didn't have like as similar a trajectory cause he's made a few movies. But then I started to think about like, is there anything like signature about like the three movies? Like, do they have anything to do with each other in terms of like tone or style? And like mm-hmm. his next movie, the brothers bloom just seemed like derivative, uh, Wes Anderson, Xerox stuff. And then yeah, Looper, I'm not a fan of brothers bloom at all. <laughs> okay. And then like looper is a strong, you know, like kind of gritty side return to like, you know, story centric character driven sci-fi, like pretty like, even if you have problems with it, I think it's like, a, you know, a, a distinct enough science fiction vision. I think that's most likely what got him 
Star Wars consideration. It's also an adult. Uh, it's an adult movie. It's an adult it action movie. It is, it is pornographic. Um, <laughs> in the Bruce Willis color of night tradition. Um, Deep reference. Nice color of night. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it is an adult movie. Uh, it's, it also returns him to Joseph Gordon Levitt. And um, so like, here we are with brick his like his first movie i believe it was a sundance movie yes um he you know was, he was made for very little shot on 35 millimeter and like returning to it i was just like all right i've only seen it the one time in the theater and i remembered liking it i remember like if anybody asked me about it I'd be like, yeah it's good brick's good um and as i started to watch it i was like oh i don't know that i feel the same about it anymore oh. <laughs> um uh it's like it's marriage of what at the time was like a naturalistic kind of teen world with a more stylized noir sensibility. Um, it injected it with like something new and like invigorating. And um, I think that starts to just like seem clunky and goofy in retrospect, you know, it seems more like a Bugsy Malone type experience where you're just like watching little kids act out something, not little kids, but you know, teenagers act out something that feels a little too stylized to be normal. And I, I know that was the point, but the look of the movie is so kind of like as much as it has flair it's like relatively naturalistic and the 35 millimeter photography is, is beautiful and the locations are really interesting. Like, especially now living in Southern California, it was just like, Oh, this is kind of like a, a side of Southern California that doesn't get as photographed. You know, I thought it was the Valley, but it actually turns out it was shot in orange County. Okay. Okay. And like, that's a relatively kind of like un underutilized landscape. There's something kind of sad and matter of fact about like a lot of the buildings and, you know, there, there just was something unique about the location that felt uh, interesting. And it was just like, it was, but now like the, the teen aspect of it feels more of its era. So it's like kind of two unnatural things being kind of melded together. What maybe felt naturalistic at the time now has more of a, WB quality to it. And so <laughs> marrying a WB with a noir sensibility is just like, there's again, like there's, there's plenty to like. Um, I didn't, I don't know. Like there's like, I, I had a hard time like accessing the, the sort of like the urgency of the, or the suspense of the story while still being able to appreciate certain things about it. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's it's really interesting. Cause I think I had, almost the same same experience watching it this time. time. Mm -hmm. It just, it didn't irk me. It did at first though. It it took a level of like, Oh yeah, that's what this movie is like. It's really, yeah. In a way I like, I guess what I, I respect how much it commits to what it does. Yeah. But while I respect that, I still am like, yeah, this is kind of Bugsy Malone film school shit. Like, I, I guess I want to address that real quick. That is a criticism that I hear a lot from friends that actually went to film school. Um, friend of the show, Octa Kozak. We've had arguments about movies where that's his his main criticism of something. And I'm not, I'm not knocking that as a criticism. I've just personally never understood it. And in a broad sense, I do feel like it's more 
it's of course it's a personal reaction for someone, but I I, I feel like I'm not going to be very uh, even handed to people, but I'm just going to say it. It seems to come from jealousy a lot of the time, uh, right? For lack of a more broad or more even handed approach. But beyond that, I just have never understood that. But this movie, second viewing, Brick, I did kind of understand that. I'm like, I, I think I get it where it's like he's leaning into things that you would experiment with more and be sort of cavalier with in film school. But if it works or if it works for a particular audience member, like it did for me eventually as I sunk into the movie again, <laughs> it it can be it can not just be cavalier. It can be confidence. And I think if there's any common thing in Ryan Johnson's uh, oeuvre, because I think you made a good point there as well. I don't think he has like a direct auteur style yet or maybe yeah. ever. And funnily enough, he's brought this up in interviews lately when he, he's been doing a lot for S- star Wars. Mm-hmm. And he, he said that, um, and I can't think of what interview it was. It might've been on film spotting, but he, talks about how he personally doesn't think he has a direct visual style like like a Wes Anderson where you're like, yeah. oh, that's a Ryan Johnson movie. But he actually thought that was a plus for The Last Jedi. for working. Yeah, and I actually, I have to agree because we've already cited several people that have gotten fired or have not worked out on yeah. Star Wars movies with Disney. But maybe someone who's more adaptable and maybe someone who can communicate and actually take notes from a corporation like Disney, like Ryan Johnson, maybe they are the perfect filmmaker to shepherd star Wars. And I would actually lump JJ Abrams into that category too, Mm -hmm. because he doesn't have a direct style other than he's always homaging other people's styles. That's all he's ever done. And he's very good at that. So I'm so glad, side note, that Colin Trevorrow is done with episode nine and is not making that. I'm glad that J.J. Abrams is going to finish it because I want to see what they're going to do. I I like what they're doing with those movies. But um, I guess back to Ryan Johnson, though, with Brick is it is a it is an annoying movie that I still think is like impressive in how confident it is. And. I, I, I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt in it. I like uh, actor Noah Segan, who's been in, popped up in his other movies. He had a he's really great. He he's had, great. Lucas Hawes is also great in yes, it. Yes, yes. Who's the and kid that plays, plays Tug? Or that Tug, guy. yeah. What's his, what's his actual name? I think the actor's name is, it's, I think it's Noah Fleiss or Matt O'Leary. I'm looking at the cast list and I just, I'm not sure. Um, but I also want to say like, uh, who's the actress that, nor is it Nora Zettner? She she plays like kind of a quasi. She's like the femme fatale in this movie. This this high school noir movie plot. She's really good. I like the casting a lot, and it is kind yeah. of stunt casty with like Lucas Haas. And there's a pretentious. There is a pretension to this movie that's undeniable, but I see it as confidence, and I kind of like it for that. I guess lastly, though, I still don't totally understand how the pieces fit in this movie. And it can be frustrating, but if you kind of give yourself up into it and just enjoy the style of it and the language, which is kind of hard to understand, I would actually say this movie is like a clockwork orange experience where you're really not going to understand right away what the fuck they're talking about because it has its own language that it's used. But that is pretty impressive on just a creative level. Um, But I think mileage is going to vary for people for sure. Yeah, I think that there's also there's like a a spirit of a blood simple era Coen brothers at work. Ooh, um, yes, yes. In terms of like 
just kind of staging suspense sequences, um, like in the sort of middle section of the movie. And I was just thinking about, you know, especially in, in regards to like modern spectacle movies, which this movie of course is nowhere near, like isn't aiming for that at all, but just like the difference between like how modern suspense is staged and how it kind of doesn't exist. And like sequences in brick where like, it's something as simple as like, a chase sequence where you're listening to the sound design of footsteps on like a uh, high school, like cement. So it's, like, good, clock, right? And it's like building that rhythm. And it's so simple. It's just one person chasing another person. And like, how are they going to get out of it? And it's like that sense in a movie so intimate and so small in scale and in budget able to like, ultimately draw more tension than most of the kind of overwhelming bombarding spectacle movies lately. It's just like, he's really like, he's, he's got an ingenuity about how to build suspense that reminded me of like kind of the blood simple era of the Coen brothers. And like, it's also like Miller's crossing. It's kind of Ryan Johnson's kid movie version of Miller's crossing in terms of the, uh, the deception plot that Joseph Gordon Levitt is doing. He's kind of the Gabriel Byrne character in this movie of Miller's. uh Yeah. And I, I'm really glad you brought up the Coen brothers because I think it's a major influence for sure. Yeah. And go ahead. Yeah. He plays, he plays with like kind of different directors in terms of like what, what's informing his sensibility per movie. And I think in that sense, like you're right. He is like a, a careerist kind of, he's, he's a good, you know, workman director where you can kind of like plug him into anything. And there just used to be, it seems like I've, I've been paying attention to, directors and writers of the 1980s where there was just like a, a a a variety of different types of films and being like well that guy wrote that like those are two totally different movies but it was just like the similarity is that there's a quality to the writing that's strong enough but like even though the tone is completely different like between the two movies you know and it's just like yeah. seeing someone be adaptable i think is like you know pretty interesting we, we praise for, auteurs so much in this in the cinephile realm. And yeah. I think something that really needs to get sort of toppled or we need to evolve past critically and just as an audience is the idea that auteur theory even exists. Because we love Ryan Coogler and we've liked some of Ryan Johnson's movies, but they are not even close to the only people making that happen. You know, there's... There's all these cinematographers. There's there's all the stuff. You know, you've been on sets. Like, there's actors. There's all those things. And mm-hmm. um, Ryan Johnson is an example of he never has meant to be like a Kubrick auteur. He might develop into that where he has this rigid style you come to expect. He might really evolve. Who knows? And that could be exciting. But I see him as, and it's not a dirty word. He is a careerist professional filmmaker. I think he could work really well in what looks like an old fashioned studio model that Disney's doing where they've got a factory, they've got actors that they worked with. It's like a collective in a way it's different. It's very corporatized and sort of admittedly a little gross to my taste, but that's okay. They're not doing anything wrong. It's just, it is interesting to see so far who's playing well in that sandbox. And I think it says a lot that after Phil Lord and Chris Miller got fired from this Han Solo movie, they brought Ron Howard in to finish it. Like, talk about opposite sensibilities but ron howard's a pro ron howard sounds so derogatory well, ron howard 
but he's not an exciting director to me. I think he's made right. some good movies. I think he's made some great movies in the past, Backdraft. but Backdraft is cool. I like Apollo 13. I like Splash, you know, Gung Ho, all that shit. But he is a pro that's going to come in, not going to probably argue with the suits. He's probably going to play nice with them. And I think there's lessons to be learned from directors that have played nice in that realm. And then the ones that have failed because maybe they didn't have enough of an evolution from movie one to movie two or three. Yeah. Um, And some of them can handle like the Ryan Coogler, but I think there's an interesting connection here is Coogler and Ryan Johnson both had a very almost like meteoric rise, but they didn't do one movie and shoot up. They evolved like Fruitvale station to Creed to black Panther is a steep curve up. The mm-hmm. budgets are different in those movies and right. the, the, uh, the, uh, goal is different in them. And Ryan Johnson extended it even more. He did brick to brothers bloom to looper, which is a step up. And then you get star Wars. And now he's making a whole new trilogy of star Wars movies, uh, next that will have nothing to do with the skywalkers. And I'm actually excited for that because I think he did a great job. I think the last Jedi is a really great star Wars movie. Um, and I know, I know you haven't seen it yet. Have you? Or probably um, never. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll leave it there. That's fine. I like last Jedi. I think it is a good star Wars. I think it's a very good star Wars movie. Uh-huh. Um, and he did that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Brick brick is an interesting one. I, I, I like that. We've sort of talked about other external elements around the movie because you know, it's, it's either you're going to go for it. I think your mileage will vary if you catch up with it. But um, yeah. I did like it, even though I found it a little bit like, oh, yeah, it's sort of diminished in my mind a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's I mean, it's for someone who has kind of transitioned into being a careerist filmmaker. It's like a pretty bold first movie. Definitely. And it, it, it only kind of stands out now as being like very, very winky because like there's really nothing like it anymore. And I think at that time there was enough of a thriving independent film scene Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that like this, this, this is how this movie differentiated itself from everything else. Like there, there just seemed to be, you know, enough kind of like mid-level to like independent films, you know, like in the, in the, from like the late nineties into the mid two thousands, you know, where you get like the peak being like little miss sunshine in 2006. Yeah. Same year. Oh, goody. Um, <laughs> Juno like, maybe after that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, like even movies like about Schmidt and, you know, adaptation yeah. from like, you know, four years before that, like there just seemed to be like a world where those films were possible where they, as much as they became Oscar bait, like they didn't necessarily have to, people would still show up to see them. Um, yeah, I think so it's like, worth, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. It, it, it just seems like that's, that's how this movie differentiated itself. And now because there isn't as much of a, an analog right now, um, it does sort of like stick out as like, Oh, how the fuck did this movie happen? You know? Um, <laughs> But yeah, he's an interesting, he's an interesting dude just cause like, I, I remember a conversation he had, um, on the talk house with, uh, Anna Lily Amirpour where he yeah, yeah. L- loves her work. And it was just like, he clearly is an admirer of film and, you know, just like loves film and, you know, loves like unique, distinct visions. And, 
Yeah, he pops up on the Slash Filmcast and Film Spotting, two podcasts I still listen to a lot. And he he's an amazing. Him talking about movies is actually he's one of the good ones for sure. Like makes you want to yes. see the movie kind of deal. Right. Yeah. So and, um, um, I would just lastly say real quick, the movie mm-hmm. Brick was put out by Focus Features at the height of. Uh, that that sort of there was like business in the independent scene that's different than it is now, mm-hmm. and Focus Features in a way at that time was was what A two four I think has becoming where it's a brand, I remember when I would see Focus Features pop up before a movie in two thousand to like two thousand six or whatever where I was like I'm probably in store for a good movie and something mm-hmm. that's going to be not just the norm. And, you know, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, that's an example. There's a lot where I remember Focus was like the trusted indie brand for me. And um, so there there are analogs to today, but A24 is a completely different beast. And they they might evolve to make things on a bigger scale to get to that. But I just hope they maintain their level of quality and don't just disappear like Focus did. Um, but now they're kind of back with Phantom Thread and uh, The Darkest Hour. They're like kind of back in the spotlight. So uh, Thoroughbreds coming out. And they were responsible right? for Raw last right. year. Raw was great. One of your your number two, right? From from mm-hmm. last year. Oh yeah, deservingly great movie. Uh, so yeah, uh, you know, let's hope A two four and the other ones uh, that we so desperately rely on can just keep doing their thing. Um, but yeah, man, uh, what do you say? Should we wrap this one up? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I'm going to go off your Color of Night reference. Uh, we're well within striking distance, Joe. Let's wrap up the episode. Good one. Thanks. Thanks. I really Good. needed that. <laughs> so just chill to the next episode. Uh, so, all right. Let's wrap up episode 167 of Adjust Your Tracking. Um you can find us at theplaylist.net. Just click on the podcast tab there. You'll find all our shows and our other shows on the Playlist Podcast Network. Um, you can find us on all your pod catching, uh, whatever you use to listen to pods. You can find us there. Subscribe, rate, review us on whatever one you use. That's very helpful. Email us at adjustyourtracking at gmail.com. Um, where can people find us on Facebook, Joe? Um, well, under adjust your tracking, just look for us. We're the, we're the podcast, not the movie. Um, we're a podcast about movies though. Um, That's true. And we've talked to the people that made that movie once. So, Hey, yeah. It's all happening. Um, that's right. We're on Facebook. You can find me. Uh, I'm still running the at adjust your track Twitter feed. It's just my personal thing now, but uh, still getting your AYT info there. Um, and I'm sure you can find us in plenty of other stupid places on the internet, but um, we just on a bathroom stall somewhere. Exactly. For right. <laughs> for a good time. Call Robert Pattinson. Oh, yep. Yeah. Ooh. All right. Well, we'd be very appreciative if you had a good time listening to us. But uh, I got to thank you, Joe, for talking with me today. Thanks, Eric.